Several years ago, my wife and I had an opportunity uh, to do something we'd never done before, which was to go to a relatively fancy restaurant and experience a, a chef's tasting. Which if you've never done this, let me, let me break this down for you. Here's how it works. It's like an eight or a 10 course meal. And it lasts like 12 hours, okay? And so it's like an experience. And we had this opportunity to go, so we went, and, uh, and it was pretty cool. But, but let me kind of tell you how this works, because like, maybe you're thinking, oh man, eight courses, 10 courses, like how could you eat all that? No. The way it works is they bring out the food on Barbie plates. <laughs> They're like this big. And you know, they, they make it sound like this really cool thing. And it's, it's like, uh, your first course tonight is going to be a pear gargantola salad. And it's like, ooh, that sounds great. And they bring it out. And it's like finely chopped up pear on one leaf of spinach. <laughs> right? And that's your first course. And then you move all the way through. And uh, I don't know, somewhere in the middle of all of this, they bring out this little sorbet. And at this point, I am starving. <laughs> and I'm ready for the steak or whatever was the main course, right? Because the one leaf of spinach and the soup that they brought out on a soup spoon, right? Like, like none of that was enough. It was fancy, but it wasn't filling. So I'm ready for the main course. And they bring out this, this sorbet. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm gonna eat it because I'm hungry. And it tasted really, really good. And I remember thinking, like, why are they serving dessert before the main course, and then my wife and I have this conversation, of course, I'm the moron in the relationship, just in case you don't know us, okay? And she's like, honey, and you know, whenever you say this, you have to say it a certain way, that's to cleanse your palate. <laughs> it's to cleanse the palate, okay? And, and, and actually, uh, this goes back to something uh, done in France and Italy for years. Actually, they, in France and Italy, they call it the intermezzo. It's something that cleanses your palate, like sorbet, if you're in a nice restaurant, or crackers, if you're at Cracker Barrel, okay? Like, <laughs> one or the other. You can use either option, okay? This particular night, it was sorbet. And I remember, why am I getting dessert before the steak? And it's because it has to... Cleanse your palate. Now, just to understand where I'm coming from with all this, I'm pretty sure that steak would have tasted the same to me, sorbet or not, okay? But it cleanses your palate. It, it prepares you for the main course, right? And um, we're, we're, we're in a teaching series called Lord at Thy Birth, and, and we're walking through John's biography of Jesus, which is different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke's, because John, from the very beginning of his biography, is focused on the power, the divinity, the glory of Jesus, like from the get-go. And, and, and here's how John organizes the opening section. Now, if you look at a broader section of his biography of Jesus, He's, he really centers the opening section of his biography around the seven signs that Jesus performs in his earthly ministry. Now, if you're new to church, you're new to the Bible, you might be wondering, what is a sign? You ready? A sign is sorbet. A sign 
in the New Testament. The signs that Jesus performed during his earthly ministry were the gifts of sorbet that are really, really good <laughs> and, and are wonderful in and of themselves, but are not the main course. The signs, like sorbet, are to cleanse the spiritual palate <laughs> and to prepare us for the main course. And, and John gives us seven signs that Jesus performs. Signs like, you might recognize some of these, uh, when Jesus healed a man born blind. A powerful miracle that stunned the community in which the man lived. And, and it was such a notable miracle or sign that John includes it in this biography. Signs like the feeding of the 5,000 where Jesus took just a little bit and he multiplied it to be a lot. Signs like, this is the culmination in John 11, the raising of Lazarus where Jesus, if you remember, intentionally waited where he was when he learned of Lazarus' sickness, lets him die because Jesus knew that he possessed the power to raise the dead. And John has seven signs to help you and I understand that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Son of God. He is God made flesh. We looked a couple weeks ago at John chapter one where John opens up his biography with these words, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Jesus is no ordinary man. Jesus is no ordinary religious figure, no ordinary teacher. No, he is God in human flesh. Fully God, fully man. And so as a visible demonstration of this power, Jesus performs miracles during his earthly ministry. John gives us seven of the most significant ones. The seven signs in the Gospel of John like the feeding of the 5,000, healing of the blind man, Jesus walking on water, the raising of Lazarus. And today I want to take you back to the very first sign, the very first piece of sorbet that Jesus accomplished and that John records for us. It's in chapter 2 of his gospel where Jesus turns water to wine. And I just want you to have this kind of in the back of your mind as we're walking through this incredible miracle today that the signs were only intended to pave the way for the main course, which is what Jesus would accomplish for us through his death and resurrection. That's the main course. What he ultimately came to accomplish was salvation for you and me by dying for our sin and by conquering death through his bodily resurrection. You see, the signs are simply given to us to cleanse the palate so that we might ready ourselves for the work that Jesus would ultimately do. That is the filet mignon, by the way, his death, burial, and resurrection. And so immediately after John introduces Jesus as the word made flesh, last week we looked at the fact that he, he called his first disciples and he communicates to, to Nathaniel that that uh, he's about to do some things that far exceed knowing <laughs> all things, you know, with, as Jesus caught Nathaniel at a time where he communicated something about him that no one else could have known. And remember, Nathaniel was blown away, and Jesus was like, hey, if you think that's impressive, just buckle your seatbelt. 
And immediately, notice here, let me take you to John chapter two, verse one. John's gonna then, boom, we're right into the first sign. This is so important. John wants us to know out of the gate, this Jesus is someone truly special, not just on a human level, but on a divine level. He says, now the next day, right? So here we are in the heels of him calling his disciples, talking to Nathaniel. We looked at that next week, and then boom, watch this. The next day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee, and Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and the disciples were also invited to the celebration. Now, let me just pause here so you understand the significance of this. I mean, I know weddings are a big deal in our society. Uh, a lot of time and money and effort and energy go into them. I get it. But you have to understand in first century Judaism, in Canaan and Galilee in particular, okay, weddings were like community events. They were cultural events. And they were reflections of the family more than the individual. Weddings were a massive community event, cultural event. Uh, weddings communicated a lot about family. There were certain like customs that were taken very, very seriously with weddings that, again, reflected on the families who were responsible. And so I just want to point out to you, in case some of you come out of a tradition where you're not allowed to have any fun in your faith, I just want you to see that at this wedding celebration, this big community event there in Cana, Jesus' mother is there and Jesus is there and the disciples are there. In other words, Jesus was not immune to celebration. <laughs> he wasn't immune to joy. He wasn't immune to fun. He wasn't immune to wedding receptions. And he's there as a part of this event. Do you know why? Because he was not just fully God, he was also fully man. And he had meaningful relationships. And he's a part of the community. And he and his disciples and his mother, they're there at this wedding. They're there at this celebration. And that was not unusual. Okay? We might find Jesus today if he were with us at some birthday parties at Chuck E. Cheese. Who knows? Probably not. But it could happen if he wanted to go and perform a miracle of sanitation. That could that could happen, okay? That could have been a while since I've been in Chuck E. Cheese. The last time I was there, I was sick for a year afterward. Okay, so I think you get the point, right? Okay, so Jesus is living a normal life. He's fully human. He has these relationships. He's part of this community. So he's at the wedding. His mother is there. The disciples are there. These are big events reflecting on the family. It's a really, really big deal. All right, look what happens next. Verse 3. So the wine supply ran out during the festivities, during the reception. Now, this is huge. So Jesus' mother tells him they have no more wine. By the way, this is Mary's grand entrance verbally with a spoken word in the New Testament. Say, <laughs> so what do we have recorded that Mary said? You ready for this? We ain't got no more wine. That's it. That's, those are her famous words, okay? And uh, so she tells, she, uh, she tells Jesus... Um, Oh, no, they're out of wine. And let me just pause here because I just want you to understand, okay, this is massive, again, because these weddings and these receptions were family events, community events, and to run out of wine at the event was a massive embarrassment. It's hard for us in our society to really grasp this. Like, if we were out of something at a reception, like, we grab somebody, hey, can you run down the street to Publix and whatever, you know, like... Okay, first of all, I, I just want you to understand, first of all, like, wine was important because it's not like you had options. There, there was no lemonade 
or Pepsi, which is better than Coke, by the way, okay, just in case you're wondering. Oh, yeah, okay, okay, yeah. 2023 year in review at Bell Shoals. What's the most controversial thing pastor said? That's it right there. Go figure, okay? All right. So sue me. I'm a Pepsi guy, all right? I'm a Pepsi guy. All right. So they didn't have Pepsi, okay? They didn't have um, Arnold Palmer's, okay? Like, they had wine. Like, the wine was the safest thing for them to drink. That was just a normal drink, okay? And don't substitute our culture into their culture like wine was a very normal thing. By the way, it was wine. And um, there have been books written that say, well, the wine of the New Testament wasn't wine. Listen, it was wine. Do you know how I know it was wine? Because people could get drunk drinking it. Which is why the scripture says, don't be drunk drinking. And so this is not a message on all of that, okay, because I'm already in trouble with the whole Coke thing, so I'm not about to take on alcohol. All right, but listen, I just want you to understand, this is not a big deal, okay? This is the way it works in the first century, okay? Wine was a safe drink. It's really all they had to drink other than water. And um, to run out at a wedding reception is a really big deal. There, there are a few things more embarrassing, okay? And so I love, by the way, what Mary does here, okay? Mary, and there's something in here for us. She doesn't know what to do. Lean in here. She doesn't know what to do. But she does know who to go to. Mary, did you know? Yes, yes, she did know. Controversial statement number three today. She knew. And can I just give you a little takeaway here from Mary that I think is precious. At least it's precious to me. I hope it is to you. You know, there are a lot of times in life we don't know what to do. But as Christ followers, we know who to go to. And I just don't want to let this like pass you by that Mary doesn't know what to do. She doesn't know how to save this family from embarrassment. She doesn't know how to refill people's glasses. She doesn't know how to provide something for them to drink throughout the rest of the festivities. She doesn't know what to do, but she knows who can do something about it. And um, I'm, I'm mindful of Jesus talking about those who come to him in saving faith, that it's similar to like a childlike faith. It's a trusting faith. It's an adoring faith. It's not a faith that has all the answers all the time. You know what it is? It's a faith that when we don't know the what, we know the who. It just reminds me like when my kids were little and oh, how I miss these days, you know, when there would be a thunderstorm or maybe a, a windstorm like we had last night, right? And, and, and inevitably, I mean, don't you miss these days of you kind of in my stage of life or after? Like you hear the pitter-patter coming of little feet and the door swings open, and it's, Daddy, Daddy! And, and there's this storm, and the kids are scared to death, and they crawl up into the bed. I'm like, what do I say? I got you guys. I, I am not going to let anything happen to you. And I say it with such confidence. But in the back of my mind, I'm not telling my kids this. I have no control over this storm. <laughs> if a tree falls on the house, we all in trouble. 
but I'm not gonna let my kids know that. And you know what's so precious to me? My kids don't know that. You know, I just tell my kids, don't worry, if a tree falls on the house, I'm gonna hold it up while you all run to safety and I'm gonna throw it on the neighbor's house. You know, like, I mean, like they don't know. Like, like there's, there's, there's lightning and thunder and, and boom. And then my kids know one thing, like I gotta get to dad. They don't know the what, but they know the who. And Mary's like that here. Like, she doesn't know the what. What are we gonna do? I don't know what we're gonna do, but I know the who that can do it. And I don't know what you carried in the room with you today. Something with your family, something with your job, something with a relationship, something with a child, something with a marriage, something with your finances. Maybe you carried something in this room today and you walked in here with the burden of, I don't know what and I don't know how. Can I give you the good news of Christmas today? If you know the who, you're gonna be okay. Mary didn't know the what, but she knew the who. And so she goes to Jesus and she's like, hey, they have run out of wine. Massive deal, huge embarrassment. Now look at Jesus' response. He says, dear woman, or in some translations, woman, which by the way, was not a disrespectful statement. Um, We have evidence even in extra biblical literature of women being referred to in this way. It's kind of like ma'am, okay, in their culture. So he's like, dear woman, look what Jesus said, that's not my problem. Now, I don't recommend this, guys, in your marriage, all right? (laughs) Honey, the trash is overflowing. Woman. What does this have to do with me? (laughs) Try it and let me know how it goes, all right? And I know you're gonna be in a lot of trouble. You're like, baby, I was just quoting the Bible. No, 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 no. That's not a favorite memory verse for a reason, okay? So Jesus is like, that's not our problem. Like, what does this have to do with me? And then look at this statement, my time has not yet come. He's just making a point that, um, similar to what he said to Nathaniel, right? Like, did you think it's impressive that I knew what you were doing under the fig tree when no one else was there and I have omniscience? And you think that's impressive? Like, just hold up. And similarly, Jesus is inclined to help. That's why Mary goes to him. But he just wants to make it clear, hey, what I'm about to do is it's just sorbet. Don't think for a minute that what I'm about to do is the main course. It's not the filet mignon. Because my time has not yet come. And whenever Jesus references his time in this way, he's talking about his death, burial, and resurrection. He's talking about the main course. And so he just wants all of us to know, right, now through John's biography, that what he says to Mary was intended to all of us, that, okay, what he's about to do is amazing. What he's about to do is miraculous. What he's about to do is an evidence that he is the son of God. But it's not the main course. And so here's what Jesus means by this statement. If you only get the signs, but you don't get the Savior, you misunderstand the purpose of the signs. Right, the signs are just the sorbet. Jesus is like, my time is coming when I'm going to give the main course and that is by giving up my life for the sins of mankind, right? And so, so this conversation with Mary is meant to teach her and others and ultimately us about his main purpose in being here. Mary seems to understand, okay, he's making a point, but he's still gonna help because look at verse five. Then she says to those who were around her, okay, just do whatever he tells you to do, <laughs> 
I don't know the what, but I do know the who. I don't know the what, I know the who. And she says, just do whatever he tells you to do. And so here's what happens, verse six. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. And so Jesus told the servants, fill each of these jars with water. And when the jars had been filled, okay, All right, verse eight, he said this. Now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. And so the servants followed his instructions. And when the master of ceremonies tasted that the water was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over, who by the way was responsible for all of this. That's the way it worked in their culture. And... He said this, verse 10, a host always serves the best wine first. This is kind of an unwritten rule. And then when everybody else got hammered, uh, <laughs> that's a loose translation, he brings out the less expensive wine because people are feeling pretty good and they don't care as much. But, now notice this statement, you have kept the best until now. Now, let me, let me give you just the significance of this, okay, because nothing Jesus does is without meaning. Jesus tells the servants to fill the ceremonial jars. What were those? Well, those were used based on the Jewish tradition going all the way back to the Old Testament in purification ceremonies. It should not be lost on us that what Jesus does here in turning the water to wine is done in purification pots because what Jesus came to do ultimately was to purify a sinful people before a holy God. And so in these purification pots, Jesus says, fill them with water. And in these purification right jars, the, the, the water is changed to wine miraculously, miraculously through the power of Jesus who came ultimately to purify us from our sin. And all this happens, again, as a sign. It's all happening to show us the power of Jesus. And it's all happening here in, in such a way that it communicates something about how Jesus works in the world. And I'm mindful here of where Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Like, by my rough calculations here, there's about 150 gallons of fresh wine here. Way more than they needed, especially at this point in the festivities. But I just want you to see here that Jesus is incredibly generous. Not only does he save the groom and the bride and their families from massive embarrassment, but what he does in terms of his miracle is excellent both in terms of quantity and quality because Jesus always does what he does with excellence. And he always goes above and beyond. When he feeds the 5,000, guess what? Some of them were going home with doggy bags. And here Jesus makes more than they needed and he makes it at a quality they'd never known before. And the master of ceremonies is like, whoa, this is really, really, really good. Probably tasted like Pepsi. That's kind of what I'm guessing, <laughs> okay? That's kind of how I roll. I'd rather have Pepsi, frankly. And so in my mind, that's what I read. And I just want you to understand, okay? That what was true for these people is true for you and me. This is a sign. This is a sorbet. This is not the main course, but what Jesus is communicating here. 
is that when we don't know the what, if we know the who, we're going to be all right. And the who always does what he does in such a way that it far exceeds our expectations. Because he's come that we might have life and have it to the full. In other words, they didn't drink this wine and they were like, oh, what in the world is this, right? Like, whatever great wine tasted like then, like this, th- that was it. And I just want you to understand that whatever Jesus does, he does well. And he does it for his glory. And he does it for your involvement and your inclusion because he loves you. And he will do abundantly more. The scripture says he'll do abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine. Isn't that true? This is the way he works. And so this is the first of the signs that Jesus gives publicly that he's the son of God. He's the savior of the world. No one else could do this. There are witnesses, by the way, to this. It's not myth or fable. But then John gives us a statement that is so profound. Verse 11, he says, just to make sure we get it, this miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory. This is the first of the seven he's gonna unpack and then look at this statement. And his disciples believed in him. Wow, what a statement. If you're paying attention, you know that in the previous chapter, his disciples already believed enough to follow, right? So what does John mean here that they believed in him? I thought they already believed. They had already left their home. They already left their families to follow. They left their jobs. They sent in their resignation letters to follow. So what does John possibly mean by telling us here that they believed in him? And I'll tell you what he means here. He, he's, he's revealing that, that for all they knew at the time, and they knew enough to leave their jobs and their family and friends to follow Jesus, they did not know everything. Man, they knew that he was powerful and they knew that he was different and they knew that, that and they believed that he's the Messiah and he's gonna restore, you know, Jewish control of their territories and you know he's going to lead them to victory over the Romans right and they were thinking on a human level but as Jesus is performing these signs and he's given the sorbet right like with every single one of these signs with every single one of these miracles right they're believing more and more and more and more and what is it that they're believing more and more and more that Jesus is just not an uh, an exceptional man that he's not just a great teacher he's not just a powerful leader they're coming to understand and they're coming to believe all the more and more and more this guy is divine he is god No one else could do these things. And they believed that day. And then he feeds the 5,000. Then he heals the man born blind. And then he walks on water. And then he raises Lazarus from the dead. And they believe, and they believe, and they believe, and they believe. And then he appears to them after he's raised from the dead. And they believe. What about you? Maybe you're here today and you're living your life in such a way that maybe you've got some religion and maybe you've got some belief and maybe you carried a lot of what 
into the room today, may I just introduce you to the who who can resolve your what? And can I encourage you today, if you don't know Jesus personally as Savior, that you come to see and embrace him today, not just as an extraordinary teacher or leader, not just as a great encouraging figure with a few little tidbits that, you know, can be comforting. No, 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 no. He came to wage war on sin. He came to defeat death and hell. He came as the Son of God wrapped in human flesh to accomplish for us in our place what we cannot for ourselves. He is our only way of salvation, therefore. He is our only hope. And if you've not trusted him as Savior, and you've not asked for his forgiveness, and you've not committed to follow him, you need to do that today, because there is no other way for you to be saved. He is Jesus. Do you believe? And if you're a follower of Jesus today, I know you have a what. We all have what. We all have moments where where we don't know what to do and, and, and it feels like the walls are closing in and, and, and we move through seasons of hurt or doubt or fear or exasperation or whatever the case may be. And today I just want you to see like the disciples, our faith is critical. We need to believe in the who, who will resolve the what. And not every what is gonna be resolved on this side of eternity, dear ones. But I make you this promise. If you will believe, I'm not talking about lip service. I'm talking about believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and you will follow. There is coming a day when he will resolve every what in your favor. This world is not the end. This world is not our hope. And like the disciples, I'm encouraging you today to believe. Because Jesus is not just an extraordinary human being. He is God, wrapped in human flesh, who has visibly proven in human history with thousands upon thousands of witnesses that he is who he claimed to be. And that gives us hope because he's inviting us into a relationship. Do you know the last thing I'll say about this first sign, so I'll point out to you the significance of the fact that it happened at a wedding. Can I just maybe rock your world here as we prepare to go today? That the Bible, don't miss this, the Bible opens and closes with weddings. And Jesus' first sign that he performs is at a wedding. And you know why this is so important? Because in the beginning, God created man and woman and he brought them together in holy matrimony. They said, I do. You may now kiss your bride and fill the earth. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, that message was a couple months ago, but I'm glad it spoke to somebody. All right, so... And the Bible opens with a wedding. And from that point forward, even after man's sin and rebellion against God, there's been this theme of God loving us unconditionally. There's this theme that we are the bride, his people, and he is the groom, and guess what? He's coming for us. And the first sign that Jesus does is at a wedding, and then the very, some of the very last words of the Bible close, guess what, with a description of a wedding. 
where this time we are the bride and he is the groom. And can I just remind you as we close these precious words, okay, that I hope spark belief in you, encouragement, comfort today when you don't know the what, that you might know the who, because this is John's point. John's point is Jesus is the Messiah. Do you know what a big deal this is? That we have him? That's his point. And he is coming again. And he is going to right the wrongs. He is going to vindicate his people. He is going to glorify his name. And he's going to establish a place where we will dwell with him forever. And here's how it's depicted. As a wedding. Then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd or a roar of mighty ocean waves or the crash of loud thunder. Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. And let us be glad and rejoice and let us give honor to him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb. And his bride has prepared herself. That's what we're doing right now. And she has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear. For the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And these are the true words of God. I don't know your what, but I know the who. He is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. And he has done all that is required to bring you into a right relationship with himself. And he is gonna prove to be faithful 100% of the time to every single promise he's ever given to you. Do you 